Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Tuesday, November 13th, and uh, I apologize. There were no shows at the end of last week. If you follow my Instagram, you saw, if you watch my story especially, I lost my voice. Couldn't talk. I was deadly sick. Um, still can't. I'm still kind of sick a little bit, but I mean, there are videos of me going, like, I, I couldn't make a sound. It was horrible. And and regrettably and sadly, there's no one else to do the show if I can't do it. So, I mean, it's just me in this room. There's no producer. There's no other backups. So if I'm sick and can't talk, sadly, there's no podcast. So I, I apologize for that, but I appreciate your patience. I want to start today with this. On Monday Night Football last night, the New York Giants beat the San Francisco 49ers 27-23. And I heard a really annoying narrative this morning. Somehow, people have turned the Giants winning into being a bad thing. Now, now Giants fans are, we're so mad our team won. Ah. Guys, you got to make up your mind. You have to make up your mind. You've given the Giants the ultimate catch-22. If last night the San Francisco 49ers beat the Giants, everyone goes, oh, Pat Shermer should be fired, Eli sucks, the Giants are terrible, confirmation bias. Everyone goes, that's what we thought, the Giants are terrible. Ugh. But then the Giants win the game, and still everybody finds a reason to be mad. I think the truth is, Giants fans are just mad no matter what you do, no matter what you say. They're just an angry group of people. I don't know. I don't understand. That's not fair to characterize all group, but man, I don't get it. Now, people who are upset have a a flawed argument, but I think a reasonable argument. They make a good argument. I don't think it's right, but I do I'll acknowledge like they have a good argument behind their belief. People are mad the Giants fan the Giants won on Monday Night Football because now the Giants' chances of having the number one overall pick have somehow have mathematically diminished a little bit. And you know, that's fair. I, I wish that we'd heard that narrative before the game. You know, if Giants fans should have said, I want the Giants to lose to the 49ers so we can get the number one pick. Nope, notice, nobody said that before the game happened. Right now, the Giants are 2-7. and seven. There are four teams, the four worst records in the NFL. The Cardinals are 2-7. and seven. The Giants are 2-7. and seven. They're a part of that group. The 49ers are now 2-8. and eight. And the Raiders are 1-8. and eight. Raiders are the, only, are the worst team by far, probably in the NFL. <clears throat> And mathematically, look, I suppose, yes, the Giants may not be the favorite to have the number one overall pick. But do you want the Giants to tank? Do you want that? Tanking is terrible. I, I do not want my team to tank. You can't live your life trying to lose. You create bad habits. You create a bad culture. You don't want that. From what I've, I gathered, I think the Giants are trying to build a culture of winning where you try to win every game. You can't be mad at your team for winning a game. I don't understand this at all. Um, you know, I think some people in the media say things with the intention of just making people angry. That probably is what's happening here. But it's weird. Like, if the Giants win, somehow they're idiots. But if they lose, they're also idiots. The Giants can't win. And you can make the argument the Giants are bad and, and they're worse off because they won. You can say, well, now their chances of getting the number one overall pick have diminished. That's fair. That's a, a, a argument you can make. It doesn't make it a good argument. It doesn't make it a right argument. Trust me. I'm the king of making arguments that aren't necessarily right. I do that all the time, and that seems like one of these. I don't know. I do want to say one last thing, finally. Um, I predicted the Giants to go 4-12. and 12. I hate to say it, I told you so, but 
I told you so. Like, can anybody acknowledge that I was completely right about the Giants? I know nobody cares. But everybody got so mad at me. They called me a hater when I said the Giants would go 4-12. and 12. I said that's a reasonable prediction for their season. Oh, all the Giants fans got so mad at me. They all agree with me now. I, I don't know. It's, I, I try to just to say what I believe. I don't try to pander to people, none of that. Right now, the Giants are in the conversation to have the number one overall pick. It just looks like I nailed it on the Giants. I'm sorry to do that, but I, everyone got, I'm scarred from having tons of angry comments from Giants fans calling me an idiot. When indeed, the Giants are 2-7, and seven, and they're, they're in the conversation for the number one overall pick. And I, I, I just want to say, called it. All right, we have a great show today. I am so very excited. Dude, I was pent up for a week, and I wrote so much during the week, and then it all just is like, it's all old news, and doesn't matter, or things have changed, and I wrote all these cool segments and couldn't record because I couldn't talk. Ah, so mad. Now, today on the show, we're going to do Surprise of the Weekend. We're also going to talk about why the college football playoff should not expand. We'll talk about Kyrie Irving. He had a quote today that made a lot of people angry. Later in the show, we'll do the Deadly Dozen, the 12 playoff teams, my prediction, there have been some big changes in the Deadly Dozen. I think two weeks ago, I didn't even do it. It's like nothing's changed. Well, things have definitely changed so far today in the Deadly Dozen. We're going to talk about Clay Helton, USC's head football coach. We're going to talk about the Jimmy Butler trade. We're going to talk about Duke basketball. And we will talk about Nick Mullins, the 49ers quarterback. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best most interesting clips. I want to warn you guys about something real quick. It's likely for the rest of November, I'm going to do podcasts on Tuesdays and Fridays. On Fridays, we'll talk about what happened during the week and do kind of predictions for the weekend. And on Tuesdays, we'll recap what happened during the weekend and prepare for the week, what predicts the rest of the week. Um, that's going to be probably just in November. I don't know if I'll do it continuing after that, but uh, this is going to be a crazy month. Thanksgiving, all kinds of stuff. I'm looking to transfer schools potentially. And so with all this crap going on, I just want to do Tuesdays, Fridays. I think it's going to be better because I'll be able to put everything into every show. Yeah. Sometimes I do a Wednesday show or sometimes I just miss a show completely. And I'd rather put all my energy into making really great podcasts on Tuesdays and Fridays than kind of middle of the road average podcasts doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So for the rest of November, at the very least, I'm going to try and experiment. I'm going to do podcasts on Tuesdays and Fridays and see how that goes. I think it will be for the better legitimately. I think it's going to be a good move. <clears throat> Let's talk about the surprise of the weekend. There are many, many candidates for the surprise of the weekend. First of all, the Buffalo Bills beat the Jets 41-10. to With a, their fourth quarterback of the year, Matt Barkley, came in and just killed it. I was surprised by that. A lot of people were. But that's not the surprise of the weekend. Another surprising thing that happened this weekend, the Cowboys beat the Eagles. <laughs> I, I didn't expect that to happen. In fact, some people were predicting the Eagles to just destroy the Cowboys. Far from happening. And, and while that's another good candidate, for me, the surprise of the weekend was the Tennessee Titans whooping up on the New England Patriots 34-10. to It was a, a doozy, man. It was fun to watch. I went and watched all the film this morning. Uh, interesting, but not one I expected. Tom Brady was 21 for 41 passing, had 254 yards no touchdowns, no interceptions, but he very well could have. He did not play well. And it's worth noting, yes, the Tennessee Titans offense, their quarterback, Marcus Mariota, they played well, right? Marcus Mariota was 16 for 24, 228 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. 
And this is now the second week in a row Marcus Mariota has played well. And I got to say, just a bit of commentary. When Marcus Mariota is playing well, he might be my favorite quarterback to watch. Just the way he moves in the pocket, his mechanics are beautiful. I, I've watched him since his days. I, I lived in Oregon growing up. He played at Oregon when I was growing up. Man, it was fun to watch. I love, I, I love the way he does. I, I could never play the way he does. I think his mechanics do sometimes remove a little bit of arm strength because he doesn't get enough on the ball. Uh, but, man, he really is fun to watch. Another really interesting stat is that the Titans ran for 150 yards, and in contrast, the Patriots only ran for 40. That's, that's weird. It, it, what's the story of the game here? Because neither team turned over the ball. However, the Titans did fumble three times. They recovered every single one of them. But what happened? How did the Titans decimate the Patriots? What went on in this game? Watching the film was fun. Um, the story of the game was the Tennessee Titans' defense. And yeah, again, we could talk about the offense for the Titans, but look, many, many teams, including Blake Bortles and the Jaguars, have shredded the Patriots' offense. I think the defense for the Titans, that is the true, the true story of this game. What I saw when I watched the film is that the Titans' victory over the Patriots was engineered. This was a, a greatly well-designed game plan by the Tennessee Titans' head coach, Mike Vrabel. Their plan was, we are going to hit Tom Brady over and over and over again. They harassed him. I mean, that's the word I think of. Is they just harassed Tom Brady. The Titans had six quarterback hits. Uh, but more than that, they rattled Tom Brady. Tom Brady looked off. He was inaccurate. He was shying away from passes. Literally not stepping into throws at times. And looked very wild along the sidelines. It was not great. And the way the Titans generated pressure on the Patriots was with a lot of shifts and misdirections. In fact, an obvious passing situations like long third downs, third and nine, third and seven, or in the two-minute drill before halftime, the Titans would not have any single lineman down. They would have six guys just kind of meandering, walking around the line of scrimmage. And what that did is the Patriots had no idea who to block. It's hard to pick your assignments when you're not even sure which guys are coming, which guys are going to pass rush, and which guys are going to drop into coverage. And it really made a difference. Um, you can't do that every play. The reason why you can't have six guys just walking around every play is if you do that on first down and second down, the Patriots could just run the ball up the middle every time, and you're not going to be able to adjust as well because you don't have any down linemen. But on obvious passing situations, it's a genius move. I wish more people did it. This was a really, really fun chess match to watch as far as football. I, I just am, I'm a nerd. I enjoy it. Uh, there were many, many times where the Titans would hit their Patriots receivers at the line of scrimmage. They jammed them. They would not let them get a free release. It seemed like the Titans' game plan was, we are going to hit you all game and make you frustrated. Tom Brady looked off. The Patriots receivers looked a little bit off. It just They clearly were out of sync, and that's because of the way the Titans play defense. <clears throat> I mean, how many times have we seen Tom Brady in the course of the last couple of years? He'll catch the ball, immediately set up, and throw a pass underneath. He throws to his first read often because he goes, you're in this coverage, I'm going to throw to there. And he does all the time. But the Titans were not giving him a single, they were giving a very complicated look every play. They would disguise things. They'd have guys moving pre-snap. I think Brady had a hard time identifying who his first read was often because he, he looked at one guy, come off, and by the time he got to his second and third reads, the Titans' pressure had gotten there. It, it was a great, great plan. Again, the Titans harassed Tom Brady. His accuracy fell off a cliff. He missed a lot of throws outside. It just wasn't a typical Tom Brady game. Now, the Patriots did have some success. It's not like they were terrible. 
whenever the Titans pass rush didn't get to him, Tom Brady would shred them. There were times where early in the game, especially, he had to hit a deep play over the middle to Josh Gordon. There were two really good throws to Julian Edelman. Patriots ran a couple screens, and at times late in the game, when the Titans didn't press in the line of scrimmage, they backed off. Tom Brady threw five-yard hitches underneath. But the way to beat Tom Brady has never changed, and the Titans really, really did a good job of getting after him. That's how you beat Tom Brady. That's what the Giants did in the Super Bowl. That's what the Titans did on Sunday. If you want to beat Tom Brady, you have to get pressure on him. you got to make sure he's uncomfortable. The Titans made Tom Brady uncomfortable. They didn't allow him to throw to his first read. They had a lot of guys moving pre-snap, a lot of shifts, a lot of stuff that's hard to track. If Tom Brady can sit there and just identify what coverage you're in and throw the ball to his guy every time, you're not going to beat him. But instead, the Titans did a lot of stuff that confused Tom Brady. And not confused him, but meant he had to come off his first read to his second and his third. And when he came to his second and third, that we, Tom Brady got exposed. Their offensive line is not good enough to hold up that long. And Brady got hit or sacked or missed throws. It was really impressive. What we learned about Tom Brady as well is that he's completely ineffective outside the pocket. We've seen a lot of plays where Patrick Mahomes will escape, he'll run to the outside and throw the ball downfield, or Aaron Rodgers does that all the time. Tom Brady can't do that. That's what we learned. He's not good outside of the scripted plays. He's good when everything is planned and organized, but when Tom Brady gets out of the organized game plan, he's not very good. Now, however, the one thing I want to talk about is I saw a headline, the blueprint to beat the Patriots. I don't know that the Titans have created a blueprint everybody can follow to beat the Patriots. Yes, everybody should try to do what the Tennessee Titans did. Lots of confusion, lots of moving around. Don't let Tom Brady know exactly what coverage you're in before he snaps the ball. But you got to remember, not everybody's Mike Vrabel, the Titans head coach. Mike Vrabel was a longtime New England Patriot. He knows that organization through and thin, through and uh, thick and thin, whatever. The, I don't know what I'm saying. But he, he knows the Patriots really, really well. And frankly, I don't know that other teams have the personnel the Titans do. I mean, the Chiefs don't have the personnel to beat the Patriots the way the Titans did. The Saints don't. The Steelers don't have the linebackers. The Rams don't have the defensive backs. However, they just might later in the year. But I, I'd be surprised if anybody copied the Tennessee Titans' success. I don't think it's going to happen. I think this is by far the worst loss the Patriots are going to take all year. But I'm really curious to see how do other teams try to duplicate what the Titans did. Again, a lot of confusion. Guys, not, not all the linemen are down. Everyone's kind of walking around line of scrimmage trying to make it hard for the offensive line to figure out who their assignment is. I want to see if other people can do that. And more importantly than that, how does Tom Brady adjust? I think Tom Brady should be somewhat embarrassed of his game on Sunday. I mean, he had throws open, and he was shying away from pressure. He was not stepping into his throws because clearly he didn't want to get hit. And so I, I think Tom Brady's going to look at film, be somewhat embarrassed, and I want to see what kind of adjustments he makes in the future. I don't know that we're going to see the Patriots lose the way the Titans beat them again this year. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen, but I would love to be wrong. It would be very interesting to see if another team can duplicate the Titans' success. I want to talk about another idea that I think has been, this has been rattling around in my head for weeks and months, and um, I think it's a good time to say it right now at this point of the year. The college football playoff, I don't know, I'm going to restart that because my voice popped or whatever when I cut this on YouTube. Uh, anyways, <clears throat> the college football playoff should not expand. The college football playoff should not expand to an 18 playoff. And I want to start this with an analogy. I'm a college student. I go to school six hours away from my hometown. 
I go to school in Pullman, Washington. My home is in Portland, Oregon. That's where my family is. And for me, visiting home is a special occasion. I love it. It's great. And I miss my family. When I see them, it's a very meaningful thing. I I love it. And that's because it's special. It's rare. About once every two months, I see my dad and my mom and my girlfriend and my parents. It's awesome. Now, I'd love to see my family every single day. They're my favorite people in the world. But if I did see them every day, it wouldn't be nearly as big a deal. Seeing my mom, seeing my brother, my dad, it wouldn't be nearly as special as if I saw them every single day. And I think the idea of rarity, the idea of scarceness matters. It makes things special. So in a nutshell, that is why I do not believe the college football playoff should expand to eight teams. That is why the college football playoff should not expand to eight teams. Every year a good team gets left out. And I do believe that benefits college football. Having a team that's high quality that could potentially make it, you can make a good argument for. Having a team like that left out of the college football playoff, I do believe works to the benefit of college football. So right now, it's week 12 of college football. Alabama's number one. Clemson's the number two team in the nation. Notre Dame is number three. And Michigan at nine and one is number four. Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, they're all 10 and 0. Michigan's nine and one, but their only loss is to number three, Notre Dame. It's highly possible that maybe Ohio State will leapfrog Michigan. If, they, if Ohio State beats Michigan on November 4, uh, 24th and wins the Big Ten, then Ohio State probably gets in instead of Michigan. But as it is, number five, Georgia, is 9-1. and one. They're going to get left out. Then you have in the Big 12, you have number six, Oklahoma, is 9-1, and one, and number seven, West Virginia, is 8-1. They're going to play each other later this year, but one of those good teams is going to be left out of the college football playoff. And you have number nine or number eight, Washington State. They're nine and one. They're going to get left out of the playoff. And again, number nine, Ohio State's not going to make it. If, if we did it today, some good teams would be left out. And there are going to be many, many conversations and debates about who should be in, who shouldn't. It's going to be all over headlines. They should expand, and they got to let this team in, and this team deserves it. Da, 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 da. All of that debate, all of that conversation works to benefit college football. It, dr- it drums up excitement. If we were to let eight teams in this year, here's how it would work. You'd let one team from every Power 5 conference. So you'd have probably, be likely Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Washington State. Sure. Then you would have, oh, probably Notre Dame. And then likely Georgia or Ohio State, whoever doesn't win the Big Ten and whoever doesn't win the SEC. But there's redundancy in that. I don't like that. Georgia plays Alabama on December 1st. And Ohio State plays Michigan on November 24th. Oh, and by the way, University of Central Florida, they might go undefeated. But they never played a legit school. They don't belong to be in there. You have Power 5, a mid-major, and two people that didn't win their conference. That's the eight teams you would get. And I do think that leaving a Power 5 school out does benefit. Leaving one of the conferences entirely out, whether it's the Big 12, the Pac-12, maybe two get out if Notre Dame gets in. Having someone left out matters. It's important, and I think it helps the benefit of college football because there is great power in scarcity. Making something a rare occasion makes it more meaningful. When I go home to visit my family, it's more meaningful because I haven't seen them in two months. 
it's a rare occasion. It's a special occasion. I've never loved or appreciated my family more than my time I've been away at college. I mean, if you eat your favorite meal every single day, eventually, you're not going to like it as much. Again, if you let everybody in to the college football playoff, it's not as special. On November 24th, Ohio State plays Michigan in Ohio State. The winner of that game probably makes it into the college football playoff. And the reason why that's a great game is because it impacts the college football playoff. It has meaning. If they play that game on November 24th, and then there was an eight-team college football playoff, and they both still got in anyways, that game would be meaningless. It'd be, it'd be, re- it'd be irrelevant. It wouldn't matter. The reason why it's important to have a, a four-team college football playoff instead of eight is all those big games down the stretch matter. They're important. December 1st, Georgia, Alabama. If you let them both in, it becomes pointless. Why did we play that game if they're just going to get in anyways? My argument is this. Part of what makes the college football playoff is great. What makes the college football playoff great is not just the four teams you let in, but also the teams that don't get in. Oklahoma, Washington State, maybe Georgia. Teams that are maybe capable of competing at that level, but they don't get in. University of Central Florida, they don't deserve to be in. I'm sorry. Their schedule's not hard enough. They haven't earned the right. No system is perfect. We are never going to find a perfect college football playoff system. But I think four is the right number. It's a number I like. I don't want it to change. I like not letting a team in. It makes it interesting. Because then next year, Washington is going to be looking for revenge. Oklahoma is going to say, we should have made it in. We want revenge. That gives me more narratives, more interest, and more intrigue. You can't have a five-team college football playoff. You can't even have a six-team. It doesn't work. And I think eight is too many. I think what we should do, we should just embrace the fact that good teams are left out. And we're playing, we're getting to watch the very best of the very best. And good teams that could have made it didn't make it in because they weren't good enough. Having teams left out is part of what makes a college football playoff great. It's why visiting my family for Thanksgiving is so exciting. It's why having your favorite meal is your favorite meal and not the meal you have every single day. Having only four teams in the college football playoff is why it's such a big deal. It's why it's special. And I think the rarity and the scarceness is something no one pays attention to. Making that a special opportunity is why it's so fun to watch and why it's so valuable. I would not let eight teams in because it ruins it. You lose some of that scarcity. You let too many people in. And then it's a lot less special when you do make it into the college football playoff. Okay, before we go to break, um, Kyrie Irving just said something that made a lot of people riled up. I'm going to repeat that again. Kyrie Irving just said something made a lot of people feel a lot of different emotions. Some people angry. Some people just laughed at him. It was very interesting. So here's what Kyrie Irving said. End quote. Kyrie Irving said, it would be nice if we had someone that was a 15, 14-year veteran that could help us understand it's a long marathon rather than just a full-on sprint. Again, he said it'd be nice if we had a veteran who could understand that this is a marathon, not just a full-on sprint. Now, the immediate and obvious reaction for everybody to say was, Kyrie, you had LeBron James and you let him go. Sorry, you left LeBron. You were with LeBron. You had a veteran and a guy who certainly understands how to pace himself. And yet, Kyrie, you decided to leave LeBron. And a lot of people were angry. 
I understand why people are mad about that. If you look at just if you look at this quote at face value, it sounds like Kyrie Irving is saying, "Man, I want to play with LeBron again," or something to that effect. He sounds like he's ungrateful. He made the decision to leave LeBron. Now he wants someone that sounds like LeBron. But I don't think you should take this comment at face value. Everybody, in my opinion, is missing the point. Why did Kyrie Irving say this? Kyrie Irving said this because he's recruiting Carmelo Anthony. Every word was very strategically chosen. Notice he said, I want a 14, 15-year vet. What he's saying is, I want Carmelo Anthony. I want a guy who's been in the league for a while. Hint, hint, I want Carmelo Anthony. Remember, everything's falling apart in Houston. Kyrie's saying, I want Carmelo Anthony. I can't tell you why, but it's what he's saying. What about the second part? Why did Kyrie Irving say, it's a marathon, not a sprint? Well, that part was chosen specifically for Carmelo Anthony. He was targeting Carmelo, saying, look, come to Boston. We don't need your full effort until June, but we need you in the playoffs. Come to Boston, no pressure, take it easy, and then turn up the volume in the playoffs. That's what Kyrie Irving said in that quote. I understand everybody's mad at Kyrie, but do not take that comment at face value. He's not complaining because he doesn't have LeBron. Kyrie Irving's not bashing his young teammates. The reason why Kyrie Irving said this is because Kyrie Irving is actively recruiting Carmelo Anthony. I can't tell you why. I don't know why Kyrie wants Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony's a train wreck. He's cancer. Washed up. But that's why he said this. That is why Kyrie Irving said this quote. He said, again, I want a 15-year veteran. I want a guy who can help us understand it's a marathon, not a sprint. All those words were very strategically chosen to say, look, I want Carmelo Anthony. Come show up. And turn it up in the playoffs. We don't need you to play really hard right away. That's all that quote was saying. He's telling Carmelo Anthony, come to Boston, save your strength. That is why Kyrie Irving said this quote. Nothing to do with LeBron. Nothing even to do with his teammates. A lot of people are taking this and, and running with it. I get it. It's an easy quote to play with and just twist all you want. Maybe it's what I'm doing. But I really believe that's why Kyrie Irving said this. Kyrie Irving is trying to recruit Carmelo Anthony. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we will do the Deadly Dozen, the 12 playoff teams. We're going to do it. There was a lot of changes this week to the Deadly Dozen. I'm very excited. We're going to talk about Nick Mullins, the 49ers quarterback. We'll talk about Clay Helton, the USC head coach. I think he's going to be fired. We'll talk about that. It'll be fun. We'll talk about Duke basketball. We're going to talk about the Jimmy Butler trade. We're also going to do a new segment at the end of the show I've never done. I'm very excited to share with you guys. Remember. You can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Help me grow by telling your friends about the show. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. My name is Alex Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, well, my voice isn't fully back. I apologize. Doing the best I can. I'm on a lot of antibiotics. I might kind of squeak or say the wrong thing. I'm doing everything I can, okay? I, I, I have a horrible headache. But I want to do the show. I love doing strong opinion sports, and I had to. I just it piles up. I got to get it all out. This is the deadly dozen. The deadly dozen is a segment where instead of doing power rankings, I talk about my twelve playoff teams. Now there are some interesting changes this week. I'm very very excited to share, and I want to start in the NFC. So in the NFC, at first, of course, I have the Rams. The Rams are nine and one. They're possibly the number one seed in the NFL. And on Sunday, the Rams beat the Seahawks. 
36 to 31. When you consider the factors that went into this game on Sunday, this was a really big, important win. I mean, last week, the Rams had a horrible, horrible week. They had a mass shooting near their facility. They have also a bunch of forest fires happening right outside LA. I mean, I'm sure they had players dealing with, is my family okay? Is my family okay? All these distractions off the field. It's, it's pretty impressive that the Rams still were able to beat the Seahawks on Sunday. They're the number one seed probably in the NFC. Uh, it's them or the Saints. And that leads me to the number two team in the Deadly Dozen, the New Orleans Saints. They're 8-1. and one. They did beat the Rams. They're my, in fact, Super Bowl favorite. I love their schedule up ahead. They're going to have home field advantage in the playoffs. They're going to play indoors in their dome. And, man, is it really, really hard to beat New Orleans in New Orleans. Uh, all phases are going really, really well for the Saints. They're running the ball really well. Drew Brees is on fire. Their defense looks really good. The Saints are the number two team in the Deadly Dozen for a good reason. They're a fantastic football team. My third playoff team in the NFC, this is where the changes begin to happen. I have the Redskins. They're 6-3. and three. I think they're going to finish number one in the NFC East, at least for now. We're going to see how the Redskins finish November and December. But I'll admit, the Redskins deserve credit. They're playing really, really well. I kept waiting for the Eagles to come and take their place and... If the Eagles just lost to the Cowboys, that did factor into this decision. Alex Smith looks great. Adrian Peterson looks fantastic. I'm happy for all of them. They're killing it. And so right now, the Redskins are a playoff team. They're going to win the NFC East, and they're number three in the NFC. My fourth team in the Deadly Dozen from the NFC side is the Minnesota Vikings. They're 5-3-1. and one. They're actually second in their division. The Bears are 6-3. and three. But I think down the stretch, the Vikings are a better team. The Vikings are going to win the NFC North. In the wild card of the NFC, I have first the Panthers. The Panthers are 6-3. They just got routed by the Steelers, but I don't think it's an accurate representation of their season. I still believe they're a playoff team. The Panthers run the ball really well. They play great defense. And Cam Newton, let's be honest, is having one of his better years. I'm really impressed with Cam. So I think the Panthers are a playoff team. And my last wild card spot in the NFC comes down to either the Green Bay Packers, or the Chicago Bears. I think the Packers are going to make the playoffs. Right now, the Packers are 4-4-1, four, four and one, but five of their final seven games come against teams that have losing records. They have to win six of their final seven games, but if they can do that, if the Packers can win six of their final seven games, they'll finish 10-5-1 and one, and then likely be at the final wildcard spot. It's worth noting There are two tough games in the next seven games for the Packers. They play the Vikings and the Bears. I think the the Packers could beat the Bears. It's going to be very interesting. And I do think the I do I believe the Packers are still a wild card team. I think they're going to make the playoffs. I'm very excited to see what happens with the Packers. Now my six teams in the AFC start with the New England Patriots. I know the Patriots are not the number one seed in the AFC, but they're the team to beat, in my opinion. It's funny, like here we are again. It's funny how the cream rises to the top. Everyone talked about how bad the Patriots were, this and that, yada, yada. You got Bill Belichick, got Tom Brady. The Patriots have a solid defense. The Patriots are a Super Bowl favorite, and they deserve to be. Now, it's very interesting. The Chiefs are 9-1. and They likely have the MVP, Patrick Mahomes. And I'm really curious to see who's going to be the number one seed in the AFC playoffs. I mean, I don't see the Chiefs slowing down anytime soon, but they did lose to the Patriots. And I I just don't know how it's going to work out. Who's going to have home field advantage in the AFC Championship. That's why it's going to be so entertaining. Right now, there are three teams all vying for a spot in the AFC Championship. You have the Patriots, who are obviously there. The Chiefs are probably there. But the Steelers are the third team, and they're not no slouch. 
That's why I have the Steelers third in the AFC. They are six and three right now. Sorry, they're six, two, and one. I believe they're going to win the AFC North. And they're just so talented. I mean, they crushed the Panthers, who are already a playoff team. It's like, I don't know what to make of it, man. The Steelers are so talented. They can just get everything together like they did last Thursday. They could even finish in the AFC Championship game. The fourth team in the AFC is the Houston Texans. They're 6-3. and three. They're the best team in the AFC South. Right now, at least, Deshaun Watson's playing fantastic. He's coming off of an ACL injury. He's getting better every single week. And so I, I think the Texans are going to win the AFC South. In the wild card of the AFC, it's very, very interesting. The Chargers are 7-2. and two, And if they played in literally any other division on football, they would be the number one seed in their division. However, they play in the AFC West, which has got the Kansas City Chiefs. I think in the AFC, the Chargers are the fourth best team. I think it goes the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Steelers, and then, indeed, the Chargers. I think the Chargers could... I'm very curious to see if they can make a run. I think they're going to make the playoffs, but can they make a run and get themselves into the AFC Championship game? That would be a surprise to me, but I'd be very happy for Phillip Rivers. Now, my final wild card spot in the AFC, I'm going to give to the Indianapolis Colts. I know it's a weird pick. They're four and five, uh, but I really do believe they're going to get the final wild card spot. Andrew Luck is playing incredible, and he gets better every single week. And as Andrew Luck gets better from his injury, so do the Indianapolis Colts. I think the final wildcard spot is going to come down to the Colts and the Titans. The Colts are 4-5. and five, The Titans are 5-4. and four. They play each other twice in the next seven games. And I think those two games, the Titans and the Colts, they play each other head-to-head twice. That is going to determine who makes it into the final wildcard spot. I'm picking the Colts. I love Andrew Luck. So my deadly dozen again go as followed. In the NFC, I have the Rams the Saints, the Redskins, and the Vikings. The wildcard spots go to the Panthers and the uh, Packers. And in the AFC, I have the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Steelers, and the Texans all winning their division. And the two wildcard spots in the AFC are going to go to the Chargers and the Colts. I hope I'm right. It'd be fun to see if I'm wrong. It'll be very entertaining down the stretch. Can the Packers make a run? Can the Colts make a run? I think the Packers are going to have a harder path to the playoffs. But their pass starts on Thursday in Seattle. Remember, again, five of the next seven games for the Packers are all against teams with losing records. I think it's still very possible the Packers make it into the playoffs. <clears throat> Can we talk about the 49ers? Um, that was a hard segment. It's hard to do that with your voice gone. It's like I don't trust it. I can't go where I really want to go. I want to talk about Nick Mullins. Nick Mullins, uh, in his second game, his second start, starting against the Giants on Monday Night Football, Nick Mullins was 27 for 39 passing, had 250 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions. And I really thought Nick Mullins played well enough to win. I mean, at the end of the game, he drove the team down the field, kicked a go-ahead field goal. I thought Nick Mullins played really well. I thought they should have won the game. Now, it's worth noting, yes, Nick Mullins did have two interceptions, but they were both tipped. One of them was his fault. One of them was not his fault. So on the one interception that was Nick Mullins' fault, he tried to throw a comeback late to the outside, got tipped up, got picked off. That's a bad decision. You shouldn't throw the ball there. But on a second interception, he hit the running back right in the hands, got popped up, intercepted. Uh, that's, that's a hard one. I think the reason why the 49ers lost to the Giants was it had 10 penalties for 97 yards. That's way too many penalties. 
holding, false starts, offensive pass interference, just a mess. Entirely too many penalties for a team to have 10 penalties and expect to still win a football game. But how about Nick Mullins? Nick Mullins excites me. I really liked what I saw from him. I mean, yes, it's not nearly as good as he played in his first start against the Raiders, but I'm still very hopeful for Nick Mullins. I, I was excited. I had fun. I want to see more. But here's what Nick Mullins does that Jimmy Garoppolo did not. Nick Mullins got rid of the ball quickly with time, and if it wasn't there, he would check it down. That is the number one issue Jimmy Garoppolo had earlier in the year. Jimmy Garoppolo held the ball entirely too long. He took a bunch of sacks, and I mean, let's be honest. I'm sorry to say this. I know it makes people mad. Jimmy Garoppolo didn't play outstanding this season. You can make all the excuses you want, but he's getting outplayed by guys like C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins. I think the reason for this is that Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, was doing a little too much. He was trying to earn that contract to prove he deserved the $137.5 million. Um, But Nick Mullins is running the offense, and he's doing it the right way. I think Nick Mullins legitimately might be playing better than Jimmy Garoppolo. He's making quick decisions. He had zero sacks against the Giants. He's progressing through his reads very quickly, and if it's not there, he checks the ball down. That's the right way to do it. It's not a lot to ask for a quarterback to play better than Jimmy Garoppolo because Jimmy Garoppolo, again, I'm sorry, he didn't play great. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo would miss throws downfield because of bad footwork. You're not seeing any of that from Nick Mullins. Nick Mullins is delivering the ball, usually on time, usually with great accuracy, and at a higher consistency than Jimmy Garoppolo was doing. Makes people mad. Um, I know everyone's quick to defend Jimmy Garoppolo. Please, relax. I just think it's going to be very interesting in the future for the 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo's still got his job. He's making millions and millions of dollars. But it's undeniable that so far this year, Jimmy Garoppolo, before he tore his ACL, he didn't really go, oh my God, that's Jimmy Garoppolo, MVP. Like, was he an MVP favorite? No, he kind of struggled. He had interceptions. He had a lot of sacks. Nick Mullins is outplaying Jimmy Garoppolo. Again, that makes a lot of people mad. I'm sorry, but I love what I've seen from Nick Mullins. I hope he keeps it up. And I'd be really excited. That's the guy I'm rooting for to be the 49ers' next franchise quarterback. I, I might be crazy. I hope it's Nick Mullins. But if it's not, it's going to be very interesting because if he keeps playing solid, fairly well, does a team like the Jaguars or the Buccaneers, do they make a move at getting Nick Mullins or maybe Jimmy Garoppolo? I don't know. But they have two solid quarterbacks, it seems like. And uh, one of them is probably going to be a trade piece down the road. I'm excited to see what happens with the 49ers in the future. I wanted to talk about something I've noticed just recently with college with uh, NFL coaches. Um, I've been watching a lot of film, trying to understand what's wrong with the Cowboys offense and what's going on with the Packers, all this stuff. And I think the first statement I want to make is this. The iPhone is not as dominant as it once was. I'm not talking about sales directly. I'm talking about innovation. I mean, now you have iPhones, you have Samsung Galaxies, you have the Google Pixel. There's a lot of good phones in the market. But there was a time when the iPhone first came out when there was iPhones and then everybody else beneath them. It took a while for other companies to catch up. For a while, iPhones were the most innovative phone in the world. Nothing in the market was like it. And it forced other companies to adjust. We're seeing coaches like Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay and Matt Nagy. 
they're all kind of reminding me of early iPhones where they are head and shoulders above of everybody else and other teams need to start making adjustments to catch up. I mean, the Bears, the Rams, they have people wide, like, wide open. It's absurd. And other teams are struggling to find completions where the Bears have guys just open by 20 yards. The 49ers have an offense that is so special. They're down to their third-string quarterback and still finding ways to have success. What that tells me is that other teams need to catch up to the offenses of Matt Nagy, Kyle Shanahan, and Sean McVay. I mean, because of stagnant play design, we're seeing Aaron Rodgers. His margin for error with the Packers is incredibly low. It's not good. Or Dak Prescott. His margin for error is still really low because the plays are guys that are not wide open. But Dak Prescott struggles with accuracy far more than Aaron Rodgers. And so Dak Prescott's level of success is plummeting. I think it's really time for everybody in the NFL to make adjustments. You guys need to innovate. and need to start catching up to Kyle Shanahan, catching up to Sean McVay and Matt Nagy. Offensive coaching in the NFL needs to begin to innovate. Make some changes. Maybe that means firing a coach. I don't know. But I watched the Buccaneers offense, for example. It's old. It's antiquated. You're running a lot of, you just run the same like three routes all game. It doesn't work. The Cowboys, the Packers, the Seahawks, it's old. It's not creative. You're not giving a lot of players great matchups. And every time I watch Matt Nagy or Sean McVay, I go, oh, that's like the old iPhone. They've innovated. They're so much better. They have better cameras. They have FaceTime. They got all this stuff. And other phones on the market aren't like that. Other coaches in the NFL simply are not innovating as quickly as Sean McVay and Matt Nagy. And it's time for everybody to start catching up. If you're not doing what they're doing, you're doing it wrong. Nobody wants a flip phone when I can have an iPhone taking great pictures and using FaceTime. And right now, offenses like the Buccaneers, the Packers, the Seahawks, the Cowboys... They're still using flip phones, and it's 2018. It's time to move on and get better. So um, that's just my personal opinion. I really think other offenses need to start catching up and doing a lot of the things that Matt Nagy and Sean McVay are doing. I just I watch the Cowboys, and I go, guys, please, please run a different play, like anything but what you're doing. The Buccaneers, I watched the Buccaneers-Bears, and it was atrocious. I'm not joking. The Buccaneers ran like literally the same three-route concepts all game. I'm like, that's all you got? You're an NFL coach. That's the best you can do. I don't know. It's just really frustrating. I just think it's time for everybody in the NFL to adjust and innovate. Okay, before we go to break, I got an opinion for you guys. I want to talk about USC's head coach, Clay Helton. Clay Helton's going to get fired. You may not agree with that. I think a lot of people do, though. Um, I mean, that's been a topic of conversation all year. The question has been, should USC's head coach, Clay Helton, be fired? And, uh, you know, I made a video earlier this year arguing in favor of Clay Helton, saying why USC should not fire Clay Helton. And whether it's right, wrong, indifferent, I thought it was, regardless, at least a good argument. But that was weeks ago. And on Saturday, USC lost to Cal. And the way they lost was really, really alarming. See, the, the, one of the main complaints of Clay Helton's tenure at USC has been that USC lacks discipline. Well, on Saturday, here's what happened on Saturday. This was egregious. It was awful. Saturday, with three minutes and 28 seconds left in the game, Cal had the ball up 15 to 14. It's fourth and 13 for Cal. However, oh no, a USC unsportsmanlike penalty got thrown. 
and it gave Cal a first down. And what that meant was USC did not get a chance to respond, get the ball back, and make a comeback. That was enough for me to go, okay, all the complaints about discipline literally came out to play on this one play, and you can't have that. But it's more than just that. I mean, I really believe you could make a, a great excuse for Clay Helton if you want. All you got to say is this. You got to say, well, USC has a freshman quarterback. And, you know, you can't win with a freshman quarterback. JT Daniels is 18 years old. True freshman. You can't certainly win with a freshman quarterback, can you? And then you realize, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Clemson has a freshman quarterback. And Georgia last year had a freshman quarterback. And they made it a college football playoff. Clemson's probably going to make it to the college football playoff. They're the number one, the number two team in the nation. So I hesitate to fire Clay Helton. I do because I go, if you're going to fire Clay Helton, who are you going to replace him with? If you don't have a plan, it's a bad idea because he's a competitive, like he's a fine coach. USC's not terrible, but they're five and five. And they really kind of seem to be underachieving. They have great recruiting classes every single year. And they got dominated up front by Texas. That's not good. You can't have that. And the more you think about it, yeah, okay, you can argue well. Even though USC won the Pac-12 last year, wasn't that because of Sam Darnold? Wasn't that because Sam Darnold's a great quarterback? I don't know. But what I do know is I really thought USC should have beaten Cal. It looked like they were going to play Cal this week and win, play UCLA the next week, and maybe even make it into somehow the Pac-12 championship game. That's not going to happen anymore. And my final point is this. In the last week of the season, <clears throat> USC is going to get annihilated by Notre Dame. I'm sorry. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. And at that point, it's going to be over for Clay Helton. I'm not calling for Clay Helton's job. I mean, I, Honestly, I'd like to see what he can do as J.D. Daniels gets older and progresses and gets a little bit better. But if USC fires Clay Helton, I will completely understand. And what I think is going to happen is Notre Dame is going to crush USC, and that's going to be it. So, indeed, my best guess is that Clay Hilton is going to be fired by USC. I think it's justified. I don't know that I'd do it, although I'm, I'm kind of conservative. I would wait until you have a good coaching candidate to do it. But I think, especially when USC gets crushed by Notre Dame, it's going to be an emotional loss. People are going to get angry. Clay Hilton's going to be out. And you know what? I'm starting to get on board. I think it's probably a good move. I know a lot of USC fans are mad at me. They watch my video and go, ah! Look, I thought I made a good argument, but um, that argument's wearing really, really thin. And so I, if USC fires Clay Helton, I don't call for people's job uh, jobs, but I'd be on board. I, I would agree with that. Um, and, and I hope the next USC coach uh, can capitalize on all the talent they have and help JT Daniels and uh, hopefully help, help USC play with a little bit more discipline because that, that excuse, um, that reason to fire Clay Helton was glaring against Cal on Saturday. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, I'm going to talk about the Jimmy Butler trade. We're going to talk about Duke basketball. I'm going to do a new segment I've never done before. I'm very excited for that. And I'm going to end the show with talking about the Packers on Thursday Night Football, what that game means for the Packers on Thursday Night Football. Remember, my name is Zach Schalmer. You can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. Help me grow by telling your friends about the show. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I'll be totally honest. I cough up a storm every single time I go to break. Basically, I'm dying. I need medicine. But I wanted to talk about the Jimmy Butler trade. 
Jimmy Butler was just traded to the Philadelphia 76ers. And I, I love this trade. I think it's awesome. I root for interesting in sports. The 76ers are far more interesting now that they have Jimmy Butler. Uh, I, I, right now, the here's the thing. I think Jimmy Butler, I'm glad that the 76ers made this trade. But I don't know how much better Jimmy Butler makes them. I think they're a better team now than they were before Jimmy Butler, clearly. But how much better does he make them? That remains to be determined. Right now, the NBA Eastern Conference is going to come down to either the Raptors with Kawhi Leonard or the Boston Celtics. Is it possible that Jimmy Butler inserts the 76ers into that conversation? Maybe. We'll find out. Um, but I don't know. One narrative I think has been really interesting, though, after the Jimmy Butler trade is people have been saying that this trade has been good for both sides. And I, I don't agree with that at all. I mean, it's clearly good for the 76ers. They got Jimmy Butler. They got an all-star. But what did the Timberwolves get? And they got, I mean, uh, they got rid of Jimmy Butler because they were, had problems with him. Good for the Timberwolves. They got rid of the player that was causing them trouble, I guess. But here's how the trade worked out. The 76ers got Jimmy Butler and Justin Patton. The Timberwolves, in contrast, got Robert Covington, Dario Saric, Jared Bayless, and a 2022 second-round pick. <clears throat> I'm not saying that Dario Saric and Robert Covington are trash. They're not trash. But this is the Jimmy Butler trade. This is not the Robert Covington trade. The 76ers got the star. And they won the trade because they traded scraps to get an all-star. Clearly, the 76ers are benefiting from this trade the most. But again, it is to be determined how much better Jimmy Butler makes the Philadelphia 76ers. I love Jimmy. He's a throwback player. He's really physical. He's fun to watch. Plays great defense. But he mostly scores inside. He has an okay jump shot. But he's a rim. He's a guy that scores at the rim. Here's why the 76ers are going to be a blast to watch. Although I don't know if they're going to still challenge anybody in the Eastern Conference. They're going to be physical. They have Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Jimmy Butler, it's going to be a party at the rim. But the problem is the 76ers still do not have good enough shooting to beat legit, really good teams like the Warriors, the Rockets, the Celtics. And even, even the Rockets who are struggling right now, they still have better shooting than a team like the 76ers. I don't know. What is fascinating to me is the future for Jimmy Butler and the 76ers. How does Markel Fultz develop? If he can grow into his body... And if Ben Simmons can develop a jump shot, then the 76ers are terrifying. Because then you'd have Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, and a, a competent Markel Fultz. But without Markel Fultz developing, without Ben Simmons having a jump shot, you're still the 76ers. A really physical team can still score inside, cause a lot of problems for people in, in the key. But I don't know that they're much better shooting threes. They're going to lose to a team. My point is this. In the playoffs, the 76ers are going to run into a wall when they hit a team that can shoot threes better than them. And there's a lot of teams like that. And I don't know that... I don't know. I just It remains to be seen. How much better does Jimmy Butler make the 76ers? We'll find out. They're better. I'm glad they made the move. It's what I would have done. you got to take chances in life. And the 76ers were going nowhere fast. They're definitely better with Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Butler. How much better remains to be determined. And I think the 76ers still need better jump shooting and better three-point shooting if they want to make a deep run and possibly win a championship somewhere in the future. <clears throat> I want to talk about college basketball now. I rarely care about college basketball, but Duke basketball has me thoroughly invested. I love this. I'm so excited for this team. 
Duke has four freshmen uh, who could all possibly be one and done. It's unbelievable. They have R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, Trey Jones, and Zion Williamson. But the top of this list is obviously R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson. These two guys are a blast. And I watched Duke dismantle Kentucky. My first note on my piece of paper when I was watching that game was, why is Duke not the number one team in the nation? They now are, but at one point early in the year, Duke was the fourth team in the nation, and they crushed Kentucky 118-84. to 84. I loved it. It was fun. And they're well-deserving of being the number one team in the nation. I mean, Zion Williamson is a freak. He's 6'7", 285 pounds, dunks like nobody else. Um, and I think some people are even comparing him to LeBron James, which is entirely unfair to Zion Williamson. But I understand why it's coming because people are saying this because he looks physically dominant. Zion Williams is head and shoulders above everybody else. And I'm, I'm so excited to watch this. I love it. Duke is so much fun. They're a blast. But some people do not share my excitement about Duke basketball. Some people have said, ah, oh, regrettably... Duke's going to run the table and win the championship. Some people are upset. They're legitimately upset that Duke is so good. I mean, Duke is clearly the best team in the nation, and they believe that Duke is obviously going to win the whole thing. A lot of people are comparing Duke to the Golden State Warriors. I think Duke is different from the Golden State Warriors for two reasons. First of all, Duke is only two games in. The Warriors are proven. They're like years into their dynasty. We know the Warriors can beat anybody. Duke still remains to be proved. They have one tough win under their belt. I don't, I don't, I'm not ready to keel over and say, yes, Duke's going to win the championship tomorrow. Probably. But there's still a lot, of, a lot of time between now and March. But even if they do coast all the way to the championship and dominate, here's the reason why, number two, why Duke is not the Golden State Warriors. If Duke has an amazing season, a record-breaking season, it's unbelievable, it's fun, it's exciting, it's cool, Dunks and cool shots, all kinds of stuff. We're only going to get this once. And I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to watch every game I can of Duke basketball. I just enjoy watching a fantastic college basketball team dominate. I, I, I really legitimately hope Duke, smash, Duke smashes every record, completely dominates, and, win, and cuts down the net in March. I think it'd be awesome. Because we're not going to see this again. I can understand how the Golden State Warriors could be annoying. I mean, year in and year out, the Warriors dominate the NBA. But again, Duke, we're only going to get this once. We're never going to see a team like Duke basketball. At least we're not going to see this particular group of players play for Duke basketball ever again. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to have fun watching this, and I'm going to enjoy the show. I'm so excited. I love Duke basketball, um, and I, I'm really excited. I want to watch Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett just dominate all season. It would be a ton of fun. And uh, I might be alone in that, but I really legitimately enjoy watching Duke play basketball. <clears throat> okay, um, normally I do a segment called Zach is a Genius. I talk about things I've missed in the last couple weeks, things I nailed. Um, and instead, uh, I want to take that away. I want to do something different this week. I want to do a different segment called Quick Opinions. So, this is Quick Opinions. It's where I take a bunch of stories that... I have something to say about, but not enough to fill an entire segment. I'm going to put them all together in this segment called Quick Opinions. So the first thing I want to talk about is Carmelo Anthony. Uh, I love it. Carmelo Anthony and the Houston Rockets are 5-7. and seven. It's ugly. It's falling apart. Everybody's blaming Carmelo Anthony. 
I just want to say, I called it. I told everybody. I said Carmelo Anthony is cancer. But more than that, besides that, I said he would have no effect on the Houston Rockets' chances of winning. I told you so. Look, he's waning. He's old. Now the Rockets are trying to trade him. That sounds about right to me. Um, I just want to say, I told everybody this. I think Carmelo Anthony lacks foresight, lacks vision. The, the possibility of what could happen in the future more than anybody else. I think Carmelo Anthony is a problem. I would not want him on my basketball team. Told everybody, Carmelo Anthony's not going to help the Rockets. And indeed, they're going to trade him because he's not helping the Rockets at all. In fact, I think he's making them worse. The second thing I want to talk about, this is going to be a long one. It's going to be three different notes about the Cleveland Browns. The first thing is this. The Browns beat the Falcons on Sunday 28-16. to The Browns are now 3-6-1. and one. And after beating the Falcons, it was surprising. You know, Baker Mayfield played great at three touchdowns. And Nick Chubb had that long touchdown run. A lot of people have said, Greg Williams, the interim head coach, needs to be the new head coach from the time being. Guys, relax. Greg Williams won one football game. And everybody in Cleveland is ready to anoint him the next mayor of the city. I mean, it's, it's silly. This is why Cleveland is such an issue. Everybody overreacts to everything Cleveland does. It's ridiculous. Greg Williams should not be the head coach after one win. Let's see what he does the rest of the year. If Greg Williams wins out and kills it, earns his job, fine. But don't say Greg Williams should be the next head coach of the Cleveland Browns after winning just one game. That's absurd. The other note I want to make about the Cleveland Browns is that it's very clear John Dorsey, the general manager, is the man in Cleveland. I remember when they traded away Carlos Hyde to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I thought it was weird. I didn't understand. Uh, Well, no, we've seen Nick Chubb, the running back for the Browns, is the man. He's great. He's fantastic. Had a long run this week. Uh, The Browns don't need Carlos Hyde. And the more we see Baker Mayfield, he looks like it was the right decision to pick him with the number one pick. John Dorsey's the man for the job. I believe in John Dorsey. If anybody else gets fired in Cleveland, it better not be John Dorsey because he is doing a wonderful job rebuilding that roster and making them better. The final thing I want to say about the Cleveland Browns is that their former head coach, Hugh Jackson, just got hired by the Cincinnati Bengals. Yesterday, in fact. He got hired as the special assistant to the head coach, Marvin Lewis. And and I like this. It's good for him. I like Hugh Jackson. I think Hugh Jackson's a very good, capable coach. I just think Hugh Jackson should not be a head coach. He doesn't have the temperament to be a head coach, but Hugh Jackson knows football. He's not a dummy. He understands the game, and I'm glad that he found a job somewhere. He deserves to work and be a coach in the NFL, if not a head coach. He should not be a head coach, but he should be a coach somewhere because he's a competent guy who understands a lot about football, and I'm happy Hugh Jackson landed on his feet. Three more things I want to talk about. First is the NBA All-Star Game draft. I am so excited. I love this. So the NBA All-Star Game draft is going to be televised. Last year, we had Steph Curry and LeBron James picking their teams. This year, that whole process is going to be on television. We can watch it as a show. That is fantastic. I want drama. Drama, drama, drama. That is what I want from sports, and that is what the NBA and the NFL consistently deliver. Far more than baseball, it's fantastic. I'm so glad the NBA made the decision to televise the NBA All-Star Draft. Let's talk about Des Bryant. Oh, Des Bryant. So Des Bryant last week signed with the New Orleans Saints and immediately afterwards tore his Achilles. It's sad. It sucks. Um, but what it reminds me of is this. There was a girl in high school who would always talk about the Mercedes her dad was going to buy her. And the first week this girl had her car, she wrecked it. 
<laughs> and I, Des Bryant reminds me of that. Like it's it's sad, it's tragic, it's also kind of funny that you had this, all this buildup, and it just deflated immediately. Again, I think it's really sad that Des Bryant hurt his Achilles and is out for the year. Um, but it's also kind of funny. You got to admit, I mean, the guy, all he did was talk about, I'm going to go to this team and this team and talk bad about the Cowboys. And the minute he got his chance, Des Bryant tore his Achilles. I, I don't, <laughs> don't want to laugh at the guy. I feel bad for him. But at the same time, for a guy that talks a lot of smack, he has no self-awareness at all. And the final thing I want to talk about in quick opinion is this. Uh, listeners in Mexico will already know about this. The Chiefs and the Rams game, which was scheduled to be played in Mexico City on Monday night, has been moved to L.A. And the reason is because uh, the field's just not in good shape. I mean, look, the Chiefs and the Rams, they're 9-1. and one. It was a huge game. Everyone in Mexico was really excited. And because of a Shakira concert, I think messed up the grass. And then bad management. A team from Puerto Rico, I guess, was in charge of getting the field turf ready. It's not ready. And so I feel really sorry for the people in Mexico. I know there are people listening to this show. Pablo, if you're out there, uh, you're the best. Um, they're not going to be able to go to this game because the game got moved and because of bad management. I feel bad for the people of Mexico that can't attend a really great football game between two teams that are 9-1 and one leading the NFL either side. Um, I, I feel sad for them. Uh, but however, Monday Night Football, Rams and Chiefs, both 9-1. and one. It's going to be a fantastic game. Got moved to the LA Coliseum. Sorry, Mexico. I feel bad for you guys, but I am still very excited to watch the game on ESPN on Monday Night Football. So that is my quick opinion. Um, it's it's just really all it is is you know I got some stories, got a little bit to say about each of them. I thought I would throw them out there, and I appreciate you guys listening. So last thing I want to talk about uh, for the entire show is this: on Thursday night football, the Green Bay Packers play the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle. This is a must-win game for the Green Bay Packers. They're four four and one. They are down. But they are not out. I really believe they could make, they have a chance to make the wild card in the NFC. The final seven games, the Green Bay Packers play are against the Seahawks, the Vikings, the Cardinals, the Falcons, the Bears, the Jets, and the Lions. What that means is that five of the final seven games the Packers play are against teams with losing records. Yeah, they play at Minnesota and at Chicago. Those are going to be very tough games. But there's a chance the Packers finish 10-5-1, maybe even 11-4-1. If they can do that, I mean, I believe a 10-5-1 Packers team would make it into the final wildcard spot in the playoffs. It's a must-win. The Packers must win on Thursday against the Seahawks. But if they can win six of their final seven games, it is very possible the Packers are a playoff team. So we all want to say this. The Packers road to the playoffs Starts in Seattle. They have seven games. They must win six of them. They got to win a big game against Minnesota or the Bears. And I think it's really true that if the Packers don't make the playoffs, Mike McCarthy, the head coach, is out. I don't know what happens if they make the playoffs. I think it's very possible, though, the Packers go on a winning streak and win six of their next seven games and make it into the playoffs. Do not count the Packers out just yet. If they lose on Thursday, they're done. But I think it's possible the Packers go on a run and make it into the playoffs. Keep your eye on the Packers. They're down, but they are not out. All right, guys, that is my show. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Zach Schaumler. This has been Strong Opinion Sports. Um, I lost my voice. I, I still can't talk 100%. I'm coughing, like, all the time. Uh, it's been very difficult to record this show, I'm trying to hide my coughs and trying to hide my stuff. It's been brutal. But I'm glad you guys came. Uh, came. I'm glad you guys listened. And uh, the next podcast will be on Friday. I'm very, very excited. We're going to talk about the... 
the Dallas Cowboys. What's wrong with their offense? I have a whole segment prepared. I just felt like the show was going a little long. I don't want to throw it in today. Uh, but I'm really excited. Monday's going to, or Friday's going to be a great show. We'll do uh, the two fascinating games. We'll do pick six. We'll talk about did the Packers win or lose? What happened? Why did they not win or lose? We're going to talk about Sam Darnold, who had four interceptions two weeks ago. Why did that happen? What happened with Sam Darnold? Is he okay? We're going to talk a lot about rookie quarterbacks on Friday, and we will again talk about the Dallas Cowboys, their offense, and what is the issue. My name is Alex Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. You can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. Help me grow by telling your friends about the show. My name is Alex Schaumler. Thank you so much. Bam, bam, bam. We are done. Bye.